0: Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. In today's episode, we will be talking to Dennis O'Shea, who founded Mobile Mentor in New Zealand in 2004. Since then, he's moved the company, well, excuse me, expanded the company here to the U.S. He is currently in Nashville. And the company helps millions of people unlock the full potential of their technology. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Thank you, Denise. Pleasure you're, to be on your show. Thank you. You're in you're in Nashville, which is, you know, the the country music capital. And I see a guitar on your wall behind me. Can you tell me about that?
1: <laughs> that was a, a, a birthday present my wife gave me on my 50th. And it's a pretty unique guitar because it was signed by the age from U2. He went to the Fender factory. He picked out the parts. He designed it and he signed the top of the guitar. So it's a pretty oh, okay. special piece.
0: How and nice. I, and, and
1: I'm new to this. So I'm just... Uh, I'm inspired by being in Nashville and learning to play guitar.
0: So you're inspired, but you're still learning.
1: I'm still learning. I think it's a life, probably a lifelong learning curve. So I've (laughs) thrown myself into it.
0: Absolutely. I know we talked a little bit before the show about some of the data that you've collected, and we're going to touch on a lot of topics just so that our, our listeners are aware. The data is relative to how you build your company and hire into your company. But let's start with a, let's back up a tiny bit and talk about you've got massive amounts of ransomware breaches going on right now. I literally think I got something in my email last night that said LastPass had been breached.
1: I saw that too.
0: That's frightening.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's going on there?
1: What's happening is that we are all so much more vulnerable now than we were pre-pandemic and the bad actors, the cyber criminals are taking advantage of us. So if you think about what's changed, you know, in the last couple of years, we, most people have moved from working in an office environment that had network security and firewalls and a whole bunch of security in place to working from home. So the new security perimeter is now in suburbia. It's our home offices, like where I am right now, and probably where you are. Mm -hmm. And in some cases we're using personal devices that are not owned by the company. We're not configured by our company. We're connecting over consumer grade internet. You know, I'm on a Verizon connection, and, and most people are on Verizon or AT&T or something like that. And we're sharing that connection with the TikTok generation and the YouTubers and the Netflixers and, and all that. And so we're essentially using consumer devices on a public internet connection to do our work. So we're more vulnerable now than we've ever been before.
0: Ooh. <laughs> 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 so many so many questions just came to mind. Um, you know and and I want to get into the data, but I first want to say, let's first address the consumer products, the consumer um, internet, and for small business owners, just what are some basic steps that they can do just to make themselves safer if that is the scenario?
1: First thing would be to make sure that the machines the the computers that your employees are using are secure, have some security on them. So ideally they need to be managed by the company or monitored by the company. They need to have up-to-date software. So not allowing them to fall behind because that's probably the number one way that the bad actors get into our environments is they exploit software bugs that are known. They're called zero day bugs. So a bug that's in the software from the time it was published and the bad guys find out about this and they're able to get into our environment through that zero day bug. So when a vendor whether it's Apple or Microsoft or whoever releases a software update or a fix or or a patch it's really important we install that quickly because it's really a race between the bad guys who know about the bug and the good guys who sold us the software trying to fix it and that race has been going on for the last 20 25 years and sadly the bad guys are winning mm. the good guys are spending billions trying to keep up and make the software better but as you can see the bad guys are extracting crazy amounts of money from ransoms Mm -hmm. and and pure theft from us in society. And it was primarily healthcare and education they came after during the pandemic and then government services because they're going after the soft underbelly, the, 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 the least secure parts of society. And it's really tragic that they're doing that, but that's where they're getting their money. So they're following the money. And another way to know that is, there was a list published of all the COVID funds that went to the schools during the pandemic. I think there were three rounds of COVID funds. So you can mm. go on the internet, you can find the list, the spreadsheet showing how much money your local school received during COVID, but the bad guys can find that list too. So they know exactly how much to ask for with the ransom that they're imposing on the school. So they're simply following the money.
0: Oh and no. After
1: the weak parts of society and people who are vulnerable working on personal devices on a consumer grade connection, out of the office, out of mind. So you can you can see what's happening here.
0: Yes, we we had a client once that was an engineering firm and um, based out of Italy, but also had a U.S. office, and we worked with the U.S. office. The story's super simple. Their in-house admin received an email that says, "You have a package from the post office. You know, here here's your document." And she called the post office and of course the post office doesn't know anything about internet security. And they're like, well, open it. So she did. And Yes, I see you making a face. Ransomware, their whole, you know, storage of all their documents, blueprints, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was really expensive and messy for them to get mm-hmm. that cleaned up. So there's a lot of risk there when it comes to to ransomware. So one thing that you said was ensure that, you know, your employees' computers are protected and keeping up with the software. So if I'm not mistaken, a lot of this endpoint security not only does the antivirus scanning and, you know, malware scanning, but it also notifies you when something's out of date. And recently, Internet Explorer pretty much is like, hey, it's not supported anymore. So it's pretty much vulnerable, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And anyone's still using Windows 7 or Windows XP, and you might laugh, but there are organizations out there, a lot of hospitals who, for some reason, are still using, you know, unsupported, out of date software that has known bugs and vulnerabilities.
0: Oh it's my tragic, goodness!
1: But that is actually happening. And if you think about what we do as knowledge workers, you know, if if you're in front of a computer most of the day, there are three things you probably do throughout the day that create risk: you type passwords,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you click on links, mm-hmm. and you open attachments. Mm-hmm. Those three things are probably the three riskiest things that you could do. Because every time you type a password, you take a risk that that password is being sniffed. Or, or snooped on, or there might be some key logging software that's capturing passwords you're typing. So every time we type a password, that, that's a risk. And so we believe the way forward here for us in society, for everybody, is to go passwordless and get away from this nightmare we're living in now, where we have an average of 97 different passwords we're trying to juggle and manage and, and all this, and getting away from passwords completely. So it's just your face, or your voice, or your fingerprints. And then you can authenticate that it's denise kagan it absolutely is denise kagan and now we can authenticate you and Mm. sign you in and we're not pestering you all the time for these passwords which put you at risk and then the second thing is uh, attachments so you just talked about the person you know who opened that attachment and got got busted and we have to open attachments if we send them to each other but we believe that the strategy the right strategy is stop sending attachments send a link to the file so particularly within a company So if you're using Teams or something like that, just send a link to the the location where the file is stored because somebody outside the organization can't open that link. Somebody inside can. And so we get away from sending these risky attachments around. And then the third thing is having, you know, if you're using the Microsoft Office or Microsoft 365, every time you click on a link, a scan is run to see how does this link actually resolve and where does it go and does it create a vulnerability? or does it expose me in any way? And if not, then it will open. But if it presents as it being a problematic link, then, you know, the machine will put on the brakes and say, uh-uh, don't go any further with this. This is mm-hmm. dodgy. Yeah.
0: We actually have that type of scanning here. Good, um, it, it, but it's new to us. Actually, yeah. uh, I, I talked a little bit about this earlier. How we realized that we just really needed to upgrade the security because, you know, going through the pandemic, I feel like people have got really creative on how to to scam things. <laughs>
1: they, did. they sure did, and they're, and and they're getting even more creative now because they can see many companies are putting up reasonable defenses. Mm-hmm. And so the, the hackers have to work a bit harder to get around those defenses.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the data. Um, I, I know you've collected a lot of data on on remote workers and, you know, hiring and how to balance the security with the employee experience. So, talk to me about that data a little bit.
1: Sure. So the data had a few a few landmines in it we didn't expect. So, firstly, we the way we did this was a, a nationwide study of a thousand people. On the front line of industry and we looked at industries that are regulated where you're federally mandated to protect something a patient record a student record financial record a citizen record and so you would expect those organizations would have their house in order when it comes to security and the way Mm -hmm. they do things and we found that the, the first big finding was that people on the front line of most organizations don't actually care too much about security And we know that because we asked one very simple question, which was, what's most important to you, your personal privacy or your organization's security? And boom, the answer was Mm
0: 80-20.
1: 80% of people care deeply about their personal security, only 20% uh, about their organization's security. And we also found that people are just completely fatigued with passwords. And not just the fact that they have so many, but it's the pain of trying to manage them all. And where you save them, or how you store them, or what you do with them. And you mentioned LastPass, which is a great product. And for all the people out there who don't have it, you know, I recommend it as a free version. You have one strong password, and inside the vault, you have all your other passwords. It's a no-brainer, but people don't use it. Only 31% of people from our research are using a password management tool.
0: Yeah, we encourage our clients too. It's just so much easier. They can securely share passwords with us without us even seeing what the password is.
1: Yeah, but the reality out there today in society is 31% of people write their work passwords in a personal journal, write them (laughs) down. 24% of people put them on a personal app on their smartphone, which is usually a personal device. So you've got work passwords in a personal device. And then I think about 20% of people put their work passwords in a spreadsheet or a Word document, which is probably synced somewhere like Dropbox. So we've got a problem with password hygiene in society today. We're just careless with what we're doing with our passwords and we're fatigued with passwords. So we're getting lazy. And we now know from other research that 15% of people base their passwords on their pet's name. Mm pet's name and it's often a combination of the pet's name and a date of birth or the last four of the social or something like that or the the season or the month in which they created it so if i can find out your pet's name from your social media profile and maybe find out your date of birth or or or, or your street name there's a good chance i can figure out one of your passwords and if i figure out one of your passwords i might be able to get into a cluster of your accounts people who might have the same password for all the streaming accounts or their social accounts or whatever. And so mm-hmm. if you want to reverse engineer, try and figure out someone's passwords and get into their life and start resetting their accounts or hijacking their accounts, it's not that hard.
0: You know, you bring up something about social media, and this is a soapbox thing for me on Facebook. Everybody plays those games where they inadvertently disclose their birth date and other personal facts about them and they're set up as fun games and you know when you're sharing that information just amongst friends and you can guarantee it's just amongst friends it is a fun game yep however you never know who's looking at it
1: exactly and you've just given away you know a, a critical piece of identifiable information
0: absolutely i don't even have my birthday public on facebook nor my phone number good
1: What <laughs> is your pet's name there
0: probably however i don't use my pet's name in. (laughs) i don't use my pet's name in any of my passwords
1: (laughs) good for you you're part of the you're part of the 85 (laughs) percent
0: or i I think i may have in the past but i i've gotten wiser you know you know more you do better
1: yeah and like the advice i would give anyone who's trying to figure out how to do good passwords is create a really long expression like it can be a sentence I like muesli for breakfast or whatever whatever it is, make it a long sentence, maybe with a couple of numbers. And that's all it has to be. And you don't need to change it often. And that, that's how you get into the vault and all your others are in there. And they can be randomly generated by the software.
0: Yeah. And I've told my team to use things like nonsensical things like pink sky, blue earth. I mean, those aren't hard words to remember, but when you put them together, you've got about a 15 character password. 12 to 15 characters, which is much harder to break.
1: Much harder. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing we learned from the research was um, Gen Z present as a totally different community in the workforce today. Totally different to millennials or Gen X, my generation or the baby boomer generation. And they're a really interesting bunch because they don't see or observe security in the workplace or notice it in the way other generations do. But they're hyper focused on their personal privacy, which is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One, they are the generation that splash their lives all over social media. They do so knowingly, but they're also the ones most focused and most cognizant of their personal privacy. And when it comes to security, Gen Z is the only generation of the workforce with no recollection of 9-11. Mm. So I bet everybody else, all your listeners probably can remember where they were, what they were doing who they were with on the day, and it had a profound impact on all of us. And our lives changed over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we saw Homeland Security really kind of become oppressive and then airport security and cyber security And security has been weighing on us in many different facets of life ever since 9-11. But Gen Z was probably crawling around in nappies and it went right over their heads and they didn't get impacted by 9-11 the way we all did. And they went through the education system And then they joined the workforce during a pandemic and many of them started their first job working remotely rather than in a traditional office setting. Some of them got onboarded remotely to an organization that they may not have met yet. So they've got a totally different worldview on security and privacy compared to other generations.
0: Doesn't that boil down to the employer needing to educate them, though?
1: It does. And there's a really important learning point in, in the information we found, which is that if the employer tries to educate Gen Z in the same way they educated millennials or Gen X about security, it won't work. So if we bang on about security and the importance of protecting company data and all that, it will go right over their heads. And we know that because when we ask questions like, how often do you see a security policy at work? Gen Z report much lower numbers than any other generation. They just mm. don't see it. When we say think, when we ask questions like "When was the last time you received security awareness training?" Gen some a percentage of Gen Z will tell us never, even though we know they actually did receive security awareness training. So it doesn't stick; it doesn't register with them. It's not not something that's in the frontal lobe as a as something they they care about or think of, think about on a daily basis. So we need to reframe it, and the way we think that can be done is instead of banging on about corporate security, company security, if we say, hey, Denise, we want to make sure your salary and your social number and your personal details never get leaked, and they never leave this organization, and we've got a duty to protect them, and we want to make sure your details never get sold on the dark web, and the same applies to your colleagues, and by extension to our patients or our students or our customers. And so now I've got your attention because it's about mm. you and your data, Mm -hmm. And this is how we need to communicate to Gen Z.
0: Interesting. So, wow. (laughs) I'm a little bit blown away. I started making that connection as you were talking. I was like, okay, you have to tie it, that communication about what's important to you as a business owner to what's important to them as well. And Correct. Have you had an opportunity to try that and try and, and retract the data to see how that works?
1: Not to retrack it. We did the research in November 21, Okay. when, when we thought we were all coming out of the pandemic, <laughs> um, and we're going to repeat it in November 22. We're going to repeat it every year for the next four years. So we'll have a five-year kind of longitudinal Ooh. track of the data and see how perceptions are changing, how attitudes are changing, how work behaviors are changing. Because uh, we think the next few years are going to be fascinating, as Gen Z comes into the workforce, and you know every company you talk to needs more employees, needs more. We need mm-hmm. more teachers in society. We need more nurses. We need more drivers, servers. So Gen Z is the source of all the talent that industry needs, and we need to learn to be really good at embracing Gen Z, bring them into the workforce in a very constructive way, and set them up for success. And so we, we want to track. What happens as Gen Z comes into the workforce over the next five years, they get their first job, then they'll get promoted, then they'll become managers, then they'll become leaders. Meanwhile, we're getting a bit older. And <laughs> so before we know it, Gen Z, will they'll be running the show. They will be running the workforce. And so how they show up is, is super interesting. And then the environment we create for them is also really interesting because from their perspective we're the problem. The problem Mm -hmm. is in the room. It's the older generation who don't get them. And so something I think about a lot is the environment we give them when they arrive in the workforce and the experience they have coming in. And if we make them feel like they're a problem, they're a problem generation, we're going to alienate them. And you might remember we did that with millennials. I Mm -hmm. remember going to conferences and hearing all sorts of unkind things being said about millennials and how difficult and challenging they were. Well, if we stand back now and look at what what have they done in the last 20 years, it's extraordinary. They've built the digital fabric that runs our lives. You know, we're on a Zoom call that was built by millennials Mm -hmm. and Venmo and every digital service you can think of was built by millennials, despite all the unkind things that were said about them. And so I think now about Gen Z, how do we set them up for success and how do we learn to love them and empower them and put them on a pedestal and give them an opportunity to be creative and and do great things and and not get in their way.
0: And not get in their way. So, Dennis, I have a question. You are a cybersecurity, Microsoft Office partner. And so your area of expertise is, is technology. But you've jumped on the deep end to get these stats on the generational differences. How did you go from, how did you get there?
1: We're not technology experts. We use technology to achieve an outcome. Which is to empower people. We're all about empowering people to achieve more and we need tech mm-hmm. to do that, but the tech is just a tool. The outcome we really want is to set people up for success, empower them. Our organization's name is Mobile Mentor. The mentor word is what matters. It's not the technology we're using because that will change every couple of years, but mentoring
0: people. <laughs> or sooner. <laughs> setting
1: people, Or sooner, there you go. So for me, it's about understanding how the technology impacts people, when it, where it gets in the way, where it holds us back, where it makes us vulnerable, but more importantly, where it can set us up for success and enable us to collaborate and share and be creative and and do great things. So I care really deeply. I'm very passionate about the impact on people. I'm an engineer, but I actually don't care about the technology. (laughs) <laughs> I'm fatigued with technology.
0: I'm not sure I've ever heard an engineer say that.
1: <laughs> I honestly, I am so fatigued with technology. I have no interest. I get stuff, you know, hundred emails a day with, hey, this is breakthrough technology. I'm like, so what? But, <laughs> if you, if you, but if you show me something that's about how people are using technology to do something better, faster, cheaper, smarter, that's much more interesting to me, at least at this point in my career. You mm-hmm. about but the people impact rather than the bits and bytes.
0: So tell me about who you work with typically. What are the types of clients that you typically work with? Typically
1: organizations that have hundreds of employees. That's typically our our client base. Mm -hmm. And they typically have a a mobile workforce or a distributed workforce. So they have got people working from home. They might have some people working in an office. They might have some people traveling again. They're kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And they've probably got a lot of different devices. So they might have some work laptops. They might have some personal devices. At home, they've probably got tablets and smartphones, a mix of BYO devices and company-owned devices. They're probably using the Microsoft applications. And a lot of the value we provide is showing people how they can get more value from what they've paid for. Because we find most organizations have bought the Microsoft 365 suite of products, and they're using about a quarter of what they've got. (laughs) But they're also paying other vendors for the same functionality they've got. So we Mm -hmm. often help rationalize that. Get people set up well on the Microsoft technology. Get it all working securely, mm-hmm. and you know empower them to be successful with it. And then we we provide support services around that, so we're you know sixty second response time if somebody has an issue, they're talking to a real person.
0: You said sixty seconds.
1: Yeah, one minute.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty impressive.
1: Well, if you think about it, when when remote workers have a problem, they really it's usually and when they need help, they really need help. And Mm -hmm. they don't have the option of walking up to an IT person in the office and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Because they're remote and they can get frustrated very quickly. So we work remotely as well. So we know what it's like to be isolated and feel like you're not getting the the support you need. So we've just built this support service that's very responsive and, and is there. So if you have a problem, you call us, we solve it, move on.
0: Perfect. How many people does your company employ? How big are you?
1: We're about 78 people at the moment.
0: Nice. Nice. And you've been in business since 2004?
1: 2004. Yeah. Heading for uh, our 18th birthday. Congratulations. So so heading out of the adolescence phase into (laughs) adult phase.
0: I'm a little bit behind you. (laughs) We're almost
1: a Gen Z in terms of business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, You have given me so many things to think about and a lot of information, things that I, I know our listeners you know, we'll take to heart and value. Dennis, how can people reach out to you after today's show?
1: Well, I'm not on social media <laughs> <laughs> except for LinkedIn. Um, but you can find me, Dennis O'Shea, on uh, LinkedIn. It's Dennis with one N. And then the company name is Mobile Mentor. So mobile dash mentor.com.
0: Okay. We'll make sure your website link is in the bio. We'll also put your LinkedIn link if you'd like us to.
1: Great. Thank you. That'd be fantastic.
0: Absolutely. Dennis, thank audience,
1: you. <laughs> if your audience or your community wants any help with their technology and securing employees and getting that balance right between the experience and security, that's where
0: we can help. Perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Thank you so much, Dennis.
1: Thank you, Denise. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive, At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.